You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that is absolutely redefining problematic queer representation. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me this week is... <laughs> Matt Marcus. And I'm Garrett. And this week we're talking about The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, episodes 11 through 13. We're here at the end. Uh-huh. Yep, Con- made it. Content warnings for today's batch include child abuse, everything to do with it, branding and burning alive, holy shit so much gun violence, identity death, child brides, question mark, and suicide. Did I miss anything? Uh, electrocution torture. Oh, yes, yes. Electroshock torture. There's that, too. Yeah. yeah There's a whole lot of yikes. <laughs> All of it, I guess. Yep. It's hard... Yeah, and if you want to say problematic queer representation in there as well, but we already mentioned this. That's true. <laughs> oh, also, gaslighting EX. <laughs> That's one way to call uh, brainwashing and implanting false memories. Gaslighting savage extreme. Right, savage is the term I was looking for. Oh, well, gaslighting EX works just as well. Yes, this is a hell of a set. For sure. And we kick off with episode 11, The Feast of Fools. So we begin with a narrated flashback to Oscar's childhood. Uh, So he is trying to hold on to something in his hand. He's got three other boys who are after him trying to uh, steal something from him. He ends up like biting a boy's hand after like they they, like pin him to the ground trying to uh, get this such a tiny thing um, back that he's just not willing to surrender. And he ends up getting away and jumping off the bridge because they're on a they're on a bridge in the middle of, I guess, fake Paris and lands in the canal. And as this is happening, there is a, you know, man in a trench coat whom we recognize who's on a smoke break, who sees this happen. And uh, he dives in and saves Oscar. We find out that this is a younger Zenigata. And uh, is this where I kick it over to uh, you, Sybil, where you can say young Zenigata can get it? I mean, he can, but let's be real. Zenigata <laughs> can always get it. I mean, <laughs> Fair enough. He, hasn't he canonically done so in this very show? I mean, yes, but under not 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 due to his own charms. Let's just say that's fair. It turns out that the one thing that Oscar was trying to hold on to was a single franc coin. And Zenigata comments that the thing that he was actually trying to protect was his pride. And internally, Oscar vows to uh, save his pride as well. And, uh, you know, the scene where he goes into the water and it like turns into like as if he's flying over the cityscape at night, like good imagery there. And uh, it does come back in a big way later. Yes. Yep. And then uh, modern day, uh, Fujiko has been stealing um, gaudier things per Zenigata. And he is now um, kind of locked into Fujiko duty and can't hunt um, Lupin until he's caught Fujiko. Um, She also has um, started leaving notes uh, a la Lupin, and uh, Oscar swears that he'll take her down. 
We then hard cut to a cabin in the mountains where we see Goemon is nursing Fujiko back to health after we last saw her on the side of the road. She's not doing amazing, but she's still fussy enough to throw a bowl of oatmeal at him because it's not to her liking. Well, it's not just that it's oatmeal. It's so Goemon says that he made it with Bonito Flake. <laughs> Interesting. So they did actually change that in the dub. He said that he put it together with fish oils. Well, that's more or less, yeah, it'd be fish broth, essentially, if you're putting putting it into the water or the milk. But yeah, just imagine, like, usually you make oatmeal with milk. Milk plus uh, smoky fish. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Honestly, as someone who likes a savory oatmeal, I could be into that. There might be a way to do it, but I do not trust Goemon to be uh, the innovator there. That's fair. I imagine Goemon would be very uh, stoic about his cooking. So Goemon hears the announcement of her thefts on the radio, and knowing that she's been holed up with him, decides that he is going to the city to investigate this himself. Oh, we forgot to mention the part where when he comes in, she goes, hey, look, what is it that you want? If you want to just sleep with me, just come out with it and we'll get this over with. And he doesn't. Uh, react to that well she says that after he's hucked she's hucked the bowl at him so he's Mm -hmm. covered in goop on the head and just kind of staring her down (laughs) it's like you just ruined the mood so (laughs) you were supposed to do this before wet and messy (laughs) Uh, hey man i i don't i don't think i don't think you could describe sex as hot oatmeal to be like a good thing (laughs) Eh. Uh, (sighs) content anyway feeders (laughs) so Zenigata and Oscar are at a museum they are protecting a famous tiara 50 men are out front the two of them are inside in the room where the tiara is and Suddenly, the fire alarm goes off and the sprinklers begin dispensing tear gas. And they expected this, so they all have gas masks. And as the gas clears, the tiara is still there, seemingly unperturbed. And uh, Zenigata takes a closer look at it and instantly, like right away, calls for the tiara to be analyzed by the lab. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Lupin hears the news and immediately knows this isn't Fujiko's handiwork. Um, she would never be so flashy, so so he's intrigued on what's going on. Um, also intrigued on what's going on is uh, Zenigawa in a more kind of curmudgeon way. Um, the tiara was uh, legitimate two days before. The museum had been locked off under um, the entire force all week. Um, we cut back and forth between Lupin and Zenigawa. They both know this can't be the real Fujiko for their different reasons. Um, Lupin finds the sloppiness of her fingerprints and hair being all over the scene, unlike the real exceedingly careful Fujiko um, to be bait. And Zenigawa knows that um, none of the entrances were forced or tampered with, and there's no footage of a rapper, so he suspects a dirty cop. And at this point, Zenigata leaves the new note that Oscar comes in with in Oscar's hands, which gives the young lieutenant a breakdown. Why isn't he chasing this? This is, he's been told to do this. 
So we see Fujiko break into the next museum, as expected, but Oscar's monologue is just asking why Zenigata isn't playing along with this. And as she runs away, Oscar removes his wig, but another policeman catches him on Femme and can't quite put what's going on in the museum together. But Oscar sits here, you know, dressed up as the thief, going, Oh, I know how I can get his attention. Fujiko Mine isn't wanted for murder yet. And we cut outside as he fires on the other officer. Oscar's bad at his job and bad at being bad at his job. Yes. Oscar's a lot of everything, but none of them are competent. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I will begin speaking to Oscar outside. And is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is an owl owl, not an owl person. Yes. That also happens a lot in this show, for the record. And uh, the voice says, uh, Inspector Zenigata took you in. And in time, you clawed your way to the rank of lieutenant. Your admiration of the man grew to love, then passion. And now you will even kill for him. And this is just setting Oscar more and more off. And he ends up attacking the bird, but finds that it is a stuffed animal with a tape recorder in it, playing responses to questions it already figured that he would have. And uh, it continues. like Oscar's about to smash it, but then it says, uh, you know that if you wanted to attract Zenigata's attention, you would instead dress as Lupin, but you don't. I know why. It's because you want him to interrogate you like he interrogated Fujiko Mine. And Oscar's face here is just absolutely flabbergasted. It just comes out as like a different look to the show in terms of the style and, you know, just showing how pale he is and how freaked out he is. Like, oh, you figured out my deepest, darkest desires and just threw it in my face. And then suddenly uh, we cut to Goemon getting his portrait sketched somewhere in the city. Uh, it's very silly. Uh, Goemon <laughs> continues to be the treasure of the show. He's so good at this series of episodes. <laughs> He's so good. Go Goemon might be my favorite part about this show. He is the anti-Fujiko on every level. It's true. He would be my least favorite if Jigen did more. I, you just don't get enough Jigen here. That's fair. Jigen's also good. Jigen yeah, does not fine. get as much to do in this set of episodes. It's true. No, no. Yeah. He's just kind of there a little bit. Like the, the <laughs> Well, I guess we'll talk about what he ends up doing in the, in the back half. It's so yes. silly. So the eye catches um, for this episode are a bowl of oatmeal at Fujiko's manicured feet and Oscar's arm reaching out for Zenigawa's back. Um, and then we come back, uh, Fujiko, quote-unquote, is now threatening to steal the dress from the Bride of the Year. Um, Oscar is leading the operation, you know, for as much leading as he's doing, since he's going to be the one doing it. Spoilers. <laughs> um, in the mountains, Fujiko finally comes down for her room in the cabin to notice Goemon has left, wanting that uh, men really are all the same, leaving when it gets hard. But, um, <laughs> uh, but this causes her to hear a radio broadcast um, of her recent murderous deeds and uh, all the things she's stolen. And hearing about the tiara sets her into another flashback. This one is straight up some retro sci-fi territory with her in a large padded bedchamber 
with wires aplenty connected to her as owl scientists flit in and out of the room. She is adorned with a tiara, which we actually see as electroshock therapy. And when we cut away from this to the present, where Fujiko has collapsed on the stairs and begins muttering that she has to kill Fujiko Mine. Of course, the cabin was bugged with cameras. This is, after all, a series where the Count exists. And an owl calls the Count, telling him, A wonderful new page is about to be written in the tale of Fujiko Mine. Meanwhile, Goemon's having fun in France with street vendors. Lupin appears behind him, scoping out a vantage point. So, in Oscar's command room, someone has called in a bomb threat. Well, he finds out he's in the he's in the room, and a cop comes in and says, "There's a bomb threat." And Lupin is uh, legitimately like within view of the station, like listening in on a pocket radio. Like he's kind of like hiding under the doorway. It's uh, so like good. On ground level, and he's just eating a crepe. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, he just doesn't. He he feels under no pressure whatsoever, just hanging out right by a police station. And Zenigata comes in after his absence and openly calls this out to the men. Uh, he says, consider what we know about Fujiko Mine. She would never try to pull off a brazen stunt like this. This, re this recent string of crimes isn't her style. It's far more likely someone else is behind them. And Oscar begins protesting because of all the evidence and Zidigata cuts him down saying, uh, I believe in what I can see. I believe in Fujiko Mine. And this breaks Oscar because now he, it seems like he's taking Fujiko's quote unquote word over Oscar's. But apparently from the roof, or I guess it's the ceiling of this room, Goemon is there listening in, and he also finds the bomb threat suspicious. Go Goemon's just along for the ride to see to see what's what's going on about everything. He's um, got good instincts. That's true. Uh, Oscar begins uh, pacing down the stairs, uh, visibly in high heels at the station. Um, the owls uh, confront him again, and he becomes cracking up. Uh, yelling at the owls to uh, start start chirping, you goddamn birds. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, the ceremony begins. Uh, pop, and, pop and circumstance and parades in the street. Uh, it's very nice. Um, the woman in the dress is just being carried along on a tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing I was kind of unsure about because it sounds like it's this is like a yearly thing. Like, it's basically a military parade, but they put an attractive woman in a bride's dress because reasons. I mean, that's that's very not far off from what we'd actually see, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it definitely I don't know if it feels very French. <laughs> that's fair. But I did not find a real ceremony that matches this. So maybe this is an actual French thing that I just couldn't find the name of, but I did not pick up any real thing where you had the bride of the year and a military parade and national pride for France. That's fair. Like, what would be the bride of the year? How how would you come to... That's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would obviously be some kind of political, like, you know... That's fair. 
thing where it's like either it's a political marriage or someone important from an important family or something. Right. How do you say Princess Diana in French? Wow, that was the one? (laughs) (laughs) No, I was just trying to think like, uh, well, I I mean, to be honest, she didn't do so hot when it came to vehicles. I'm just going to continue continue along and pretend nothing happened. Um, <laughs> the police wait along the parade route, and we suddenly hear the Nell's narration giving a very Utena-esque uh, shadow puppet display of the plan they give Oscar. The quote-unquote bomb is real, and it will go off in the center of a bridge the parade is going to pass by. Um, this will happen uh, before anyone was on it, but the chaos will set things into motion. Um, Oscar will quickly leap into action, saving the bride, but in reality, it's the cover for him to thieve the dress. Um, at this point, owls come into play with um, the F, I, and N letters fluttering about. Um, it's a very half-baked scheme that is being used. It does look like a very like childish like scheme with like no real thought put into it. It's it's very like childish or amateurish looking. Yeah. Yeah, and like, what what are they gonna do with the bride then? Who knows who stole the? I guess like they would knock her out with drugs. I Murder. guess. Yeah, there's really no reason that this would be blamed on Fujiko. Oscar is in Oscar garb this whole time. The, yeah, none of this makes any sense, but we're rolling with it. Yep, it's it's yeah, it's like shown like I guess. Utena ask is one way to do it, but it's almost like done in like a child book or like, yeah, children's book style. So they are little shadow puppets. You see wires on some of them. And I mentioned it as being mm. Utena esque because there's a lot of paper cutouts and shadow play in that series. Yeah. I haven't seen Utena, so I can't tell you otherwise. Got it. Yeah, this this very much yeah. feels like some of those little narrator segments in that series. Gotcha. Yeah, everything is everything is being framed uh, by these yeah two shadow characters or characters in shadow doing like theatrical stuff. Sometimes it feels like a radio broadcast. Well, I think it eventually becomes a radio broadcast. Yeah, very right? strange. Because like, yeah. Uh, I think it late. Yeah, I think late in the series, there's the remember the part where Akio calls into the radio show. Yes. Yeah. Once they start <laughs> breaking apart all of those repetitive traditions and just screwing with them, it's great. I kind of want to rewatch that show. If it weren't fifty episodes, I would find myself doing that more often. Yeah, yeah. It's only thirty nine. To be fair. Yeah. Okay. It's still 13, a lot. 13, 13, yeah. I could do three seasons of uh, Gear for that. <laughs> and still have room left over. So as the parade kicks off, Zenigata is the only person who does not run in panic when the route goes awry. You see, Goemon has begun running across awnings in the city, cutting down trees to keep the parade off kilter, trying to have it away from the bridge. On the bridge... Lupin is crawling underneath and begins looking for the bomb, instantly knowing who is involved by all the owls on the thing. I'm a thief, not a bomb expert, but I don't like people who pull this kind of crap. Bullshit, he's a bomb expert. (laughs) Uh, It goes 50-50 for him. 
In the shadows of the streets, the owls surround Goemon and ask him politely, please remain where you are. This is the last we see of Goemon this week. Lupin painstakingly disarms the bomb using acid underneath the bridge. Do they call it acid in the dub? Because in the subs, they said it's adhesive. Yeah, they said it was like an adhesive. Yeah. Gotcha. He's, Would... he's saying that he's trying to drip some acid in through the sides to get it loosened. Oh, okay. Because the other way specifically, they... yeah, he's putting in yeah. um, adhesive to try to stop the point at the bottom from moving. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like if you jostle it, it'll like break something, and then the bomb goes off. Yeah. If if um, the bomb's mechanism seems to be a very fancy owl, of course, mm-hmm. and its claws are darting around a tiny rod, which will probably set a charge into it. Yeah. So presumably, when Tanks and other things go above, that'll jostle it and set off the bomb, but he's trying to make sure that he can move it without having it trigger anything. They they spend a lot of time adding gloopy noises <laughs> to watching the glue come down the sides. Interesting. Uh, yeah, there's there's just a little bit of like slow tension. I don't think there's gloopy noises in the dub. Oh yeah, like if you, I mean, it's it's lower in the mix, but yeah, like the entire time that sequence where he's dripping it, uh, the liquid down, uh, it's making like gloopy noises, especially when it's like not moving fast enough to be that noisy. <laughs> it's very <laughs> funny. Um, but anyway, Oscar runs back into Zenigata and says uh, that the problem is solved. The parade is still going, and Zenigata sees that it's just the two of them and begins monologuing. He says, "Uh." I forgot how many years it's been since I came to this city. Corruption got to me fast. It was the only way I could make it to the top. But I met a single child who taught me so much by fighting with his life to protect a single frog. And he taught me the one thing a man's really got. And if you let it go, you're finished. And turns out that Zenigata uh, snitched on his superior, which ended his uh, career growth. Uh, forever locking him on loop on duty, but he felt he made the right decision. But Oscar doesn't take the lesson he's trying to offer here. Uh, instead, he just completely cracks because he realized he crossed the last line that he should have. Uh, he says, uh, I wasn't worried about my pride. I wanted something more, something more base, and I didn't care how far I had to fall to get it. The lieutenant then runs into the crowd um, as we see the parade continue approaching the bridge. Um, Underneath, uh, Lupin is disarming the bomb and seems to have it in hand. Um, But then shit just kind of hits the fan. Um, Lupin realizes he fails it. When he opens it up, he pulls a uh, quick disconnect. Um, But Oscar runs up, grabs it, shoving uh, Lupin over. And then Oscar leaps into the water with the explosive and we see it completely spray the underside of the bridge. Lupin is kind of just staring blankly wondering what, what all of this was. Um, (laughs) Oscar's narration continues. Um, We make a callback to the flight dream um, from earlier in the episode. Um, But this time he's wearing the dress and the tiara and all the stolen goods as he flies towards Zenagawa, his gem, his shining black gem. I think, um, isn't it an onyx in the sub? Uh, it says shining black gem. Oh. Yeah. It, it doesn't say, on, I mean, that's the only, unless right. you're talking black diamonds, which are, I think those are basically rubies, right? 
Uh, I wonder if it was something in the high dive thing, because I'm pretty sure it said Onyx when I was watching it. Uh, That's a sloppy I... translation, because he's talking about the inspector. <laughs> he's talking about his eyes. But, um... Ch- <laughs> He has black eyes. It's not not the other. Uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Before um he can reach the inspector, um owls tear into him, and we see a to be continued. Yeah, all of these kind of wrap together. Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, the based on what you told us, uh, Sybil, last episode, I thought that this was it. I thought like, oh damn, he he did. <laughs> So yeah. I had forgotten that, yeah, he does play into this final bit because I remembered, oh yeah, goes down, explosion. I, I was right. He does evade death in an explosion. It's just a different explosion. My brain mixed up the two. That's fair. Yeah. Also, I think for this episode, we we kind of glossed over a lot of the problematic queer representation that's in this episode. I feel like this episode has the most of it. Uh, or maybe that was just me. I was kind of just whatever. Like the owls were talking about the plan and changing Oscar. I'm like, oh no, this can't be good. I think the full meltdown, crying constantly, pretty much till the end of the series is probably wilder. I guess that's <laughs> fair. I I guess there's the question. I guess we should probably talk about it at the end of the last episode if we want to, at least about the, the gender envy side of things, because that's definitely part of what the speech here by the owl is getting at. It's right. just like, oh, if only you could be what, you know, Fujiko is so that you could get what you want out of it. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, it's pretty wild that they just bluntly say outright, you don't want his attention, or you dress up as the guy he's after. You want to be railed in an interrogation room. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah exactly. just with like slightly more flowery prose. Yep. <laughs> but this kicks off our final two-parter, and this is episode 12, The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, part one. We start with another brief flashback, where a bear is being taken away from the young girl again. The Count is telling her she has no parents, and he is her papa. Your treasures will be burned, and then your soft flesh as well, he says, as he tosses the bear into the fire and raises a branding iron up from it. And starts actually uh, branding her foot, and we cut away from her screaming. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. 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 Uh, but then we cut back to the modern day with Zenigata at the station. Uh, he's the talk of the department. Uh, like, like he's there. He like grabs his coat and leaves the room. And these two other guys are talking and they're like, yeah, he couldn't catch Fujiko Mine and his lieutenant is missing and he's off the Lupin case. So guy is completely at a dead end. But it doesn't get him down. Uh, he says, he says, I'm just going to go out and get some lunch. And Fujiko is in disguise, but she's eating at a small cafe and a man approaches her and tries to flirt. But from out of frame, uh, a handcuff comes in and is slapped on her wrist. And Zenigata says she's with me. And Fujiko uh, only smiles. Zenigawa knows Oscar was um, uh, parroting around as her, um, but he wants to know what the hell her name 
uh, was doing in this, um, why he was going around dressed as her. Um, he threatens Fujiko with the hangman's noose, but she passes him some different intel instead. Um, there have been a series of kidnappings worldwide. Um, girls gone missing. Zenigawa says uh, <laughs> it's a stretch to a claim that they're all connected, uh, but Fujiko suggests that every girl vanished from a bedroom with a curio or an art piece of an owl, and he immediately understands. Um, the pair begins driving off, and he doesn't even mind that Fujiko has uncuffed herself um, because they both know that neither of them trust the other, but they both have a common enemy this time. There is a fun detail here, which wraps up a thread through the show. Everyone in this show smokes, and everyone in this show smokes something different. Fujiko doesn't have any of the brands we've seen the men go for, and is instead lighting a long, slender cigarillo in the car. It's just a neat touch. So, we cut to a hotel. Lupin is trying to recruit Jigen for an attack on the Count's pharmaceutical business. He gets the sharpshooter in when he says, you know, everything that we find is Jigen's for the taking because Lupin only wants one treasure. And the two get into yet another argument about Fujiko, but they're in it together now. We're doing this. And so we cut to Glaucus Park, a full amusement park named for the pharma company, which looks about ten times more unhinged than the Count's castle. Roller coaster tracks in midair, a Ferris wheel outside, and Fujiko and Zenigata arrive first. It's so creepy. <laughs> this is Buckwild. Yeah, this, this is the this is the most I would say cartoonish the show gets. Is just how silly this like. If this were real life, God. <laughs> like, let's just take a moment to I mean, dwell on the fact. Okay. You say that, but there was just an article the other day about how, um, like Disney engineers said it was possible to like do a loop on a roller coaster where like the tracks missing in the upper part. Oh, uh, wild and terrible idea. But I mean, just the just the vibe of this place is horrible. And then you have like the the fact that it is a. W would you guys go to an amusement park that? was named after and funded by a pharmaceutical That's company. That's exactly what I was going to call out. <laughs> yeah, why? What? Like, okay, I could understand if the Count had an amusement park, too. I could understand if, you know, okay, the owl mascots, whatever. Everybody knows this guy's cuckoo for owls. But naming it after your pharmacy business and... I don't know if this place has been open or is regularly open. It's still in good maintenance, even if there's all sorts of very customized death traps here. It's creating uh, chops. For that one owl and his 50 buddies. Like, it, what, it, what it feels like... I, okay, this would be my headcanon other than just this is a world where things work differently. My exp explanation would be it was like a Disney park or something. And the Count bought it and remade it, but never opened it to the public. Euro Disney went so badly <laughs> that the pharma <laughs> bought it and renamed everything. I mean, like, it, it does have Neverland Ranch vibes, right? Like, a little bit? Oof. Like, not, not, okay, <laughs> more ways than I intended when I said that, but... <laughs> 
It's just mostly like it seems like it doesn't have a purpose for other than people other than the owner. Also, I didn't realize that Euro Disney opened so late. That was 1992 that kicked off. That huh. sounds about right. I was just when thinking, the... oh yeah, that's right. This you know this series is ostensibly taking place in the 60s. How different were those time periods? No, apparently. Euro Disney, which is now Disneyland Paris, was a 92 opening originally. That was in our lifetimes. Wow. That's true. Hmm. This also explains why The Simpsons was making fun of it so many times. Mm, yeah. That, yeah, because <laughs> it was in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Ah, I don't have that touchstone. Hello, my children need wine. This is an amusement park with all kinds of mad owl imagery and attractions. Uh, somehow the inspector has tickets for it in the place of his coat. Because, there, there, yeah, there is a owl person who says, uh, tickets, please. And he's like, I don't have any tickets. And he's like, check your check your coat. And the two wander the empty streets uh, in the, you know inside the park until they come to an attraction marked the House of Fujiko. Uh which is like, again, extreme creepy vibes. And it turns out to be a water ride with an owl head as the boat that they are riding. Okay, so and, there's a yeah. thing I didn't mention, which doesn't become apparent until later in this sequence. I first looked at this and thought, oh, yeah, it's little boats on a track like you would get normally. No, when you view these from above... They aren't just strap yourself in boats or roller coaster cars. Yeah, yeah. They're like the small world, or they're like the Mad Hatter teacups, where there's a little center spindle and you can move the car around. Mm-hmm. Like that's it, even it gave more me sickening. This, I didn't even know that part. I like it. I didn't notice that. Like to me, it just felt like it was like an inner tube, <laughs> and it was just sloshing around. No, it's got a big center center wheel that you could probably ah. spin it with. I think it's probably a combination really of both sick. because I think I yeah. think like some of the stuff at like Six Flags or something has like a giant inner tube, but also has like the thing in the middle for you to hold on to and or spin. But yeah, uh, this whole scene uh, goes full psychedelia for a bit with babies crying over trippy visuals until the ride submerges them both. And uh, like they're riding over the destroyed town in Germany whose name I can't Jugend remember Spiegel? right now. You can speak. Yeah. And it's like they're looking down into the water on top of it. It's like as if it flooded. It's a cool touch. But then, uh, yeah, Fujiko confirms that her father was one of the scientists. But this was all undone when suddenly. Or... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't think of a better descriptor. Yeah, like her, she's describing this. And then we get a <laughs> really creepy sequence that Sybil has uh, described as <laughs> Aryan small world. It's, it's nothing but little blonde all. girls. <gasps> and they're they're naked dolls. Yeah, there, there's a lot yeah. of naked in these episodes. Surprisingly, not by Fujiko. Surprisingly, not by Fujiko. Yeah, for what it's worth, they're not detailed or anything. They are basically, no. if you've played FF4, these are the Calcabrena style old joint dolls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or like the creepy cherub dolls. I guess FF14 would also be a reference for those dolls now. I think they made it into that, too. Probably. That sounds yeah. right. Everything makes it into that game in time. I'm, I'm still waiting for Blitzball. I mean, give it time. They'll add it. That's true. I mean, Triple Triad's already there. Yeah. 
No, don't worry. It's just a normal rule set. It's not crazy stuff. Eh. No, eh is the Lord of Lord of Vermilion that's in there. I don't know what that is, so I will look that up while someone else reads. It's a real janky RTS. Anywho, Fujiko um, recalls being in a place that had a lot more little girls, and we see cranes pick them up away one by one, um, flipping them around into the little girl uh, we've seen in Fujiko's flashbacks. Um, Zenigawa is watching her clearly begin to lose it as she's hearing voices and having flashbacks. Um, from behind a camera, we see the Count again watching. Uh, the puppets become visions of scientists tormenting the Fujiko dolls, and Fujiko is having a downright meltdown. That, and Zenigawa uh, pulls her off the boat as she begins firing widely at all of the dolls and just everything in general. Okay, I'm sorry, I have to pause here. Lord of Vermilion is a four billion dollar property or four billion yen property for square enix with multiple spin-offs and sequels and a free-to-play moba and an ff14 parody and crossovers with final fantasy saga magic the gathering king of fighters and toho what yeah, the lord- fuck how did i miss this <laughs> join us and next time lord- for our lord of a million spin-off episode there are animes this is Lord of Vermilion, not Lord Sword of Vermilion. Yeah, Lord. Oh, I've never heard of it. It has a spin-off set of action RPG titles. It has an online MOBA. It has an FF14 mode. There's a fourth game in this series that came out all running on Taito hardware. What the shit? How did I mi- Okay, never came to America, but still. Yeah, just a collectible card RTS with a bunch of spin-offs. What the shit? You're welcome. That's a lot. Also, it it's means that there's saga lore that I didn't know about. Oh, oh my god! I, I, I'm taking a like on the wiki for this. <laughs> there's a picture of the arcade machine where a guy is like using real ass cards. Those arcade machines have always looked so fucking sick, and I want to try one one day in my life. They used to have it at, um. Oh, the the game works that I was by, but they've now been invic- uh, evicted, so that won't happen. That's that's also a thing going back in Japanese arcades for decades. Um, Is it wild? In yeah. the two thousands, I think is when Sega did the first of those, where you had the cards that interacted with the game. You'd get a pack of them out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you I can see like- a lot of that in the Yakuza series. Yeah. Oh, also, like Bandai was real big into it. Um, Dinosaur King was based on that. Dinosaur um, King uh, was Sega. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, and then like all like the superhero time stuff with uh the Bandai uh Cardass and stuff. Yes, Cardass is the modern one, and yes, that card. Yes, what? it's spelled like <laughs> yeah, you think. It's yeah. Is it one word or is it hyphenated? It's one word. word. Cardass. Card yes. <sighs> that's a Cardass card game. Uh, it, it, it's like it's just like a fancy roulette game. It's not too much. I I have spent more time than most should probably have on playing like the the DS versions of some of those because there was a Kamen Rider DS one that came out that I poked around with for far too long. Okay, okay. 
one last thing before we get off of uh, Lord of Vermilion. I, I just scrolled down to the contributing artist list and it's just, you know, it's a bunch of names uh, that I don't know that are Japanese. And then Todd McFarlane. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. What? <laughs> Did you look at the art style of the game? That fits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> the poster for the original is basically a battle twink. It's also somebody named Ferrari Roberto. Yo, that rules. Thank you, Italian artist who absolutely wasn't born with that name. <laughs> just imagine me. Yeah, I just imagine being a parent and be like, I'm going to name my child. Well, okay, yes, people have named their children Mercedes and Lexus and Porsche. So I guess Ferrari isn't that weird. Oh, sorry. His name is Roberto Ferrari, not Ferrari Roberto. No, I'm sorry. We're doing this. Uh, we're doing this Japanese style. He's Ferrari Roberto now. <laughs> uh, apparently, there's also a, a professional cyclist whose also name is Roberto Ferrari. There we go. Everyone wins. I mean, I, I have to say, like, like it's it'd be hard to top the uh, the car I saw in my parking lot yesterday that I, I took a picture of and put it in the car. Whereas it, it was a bright metallic green Maserati, and on like the side badge they had like the three Italy colors, you know, uh, green, red, and white. And it was like this is the most Italian car I've ever fucking seen. See, I thought this was going to be like the green car in my neighborhood that has the Ahigao seat covers. Oh, wow. No, no. This is just a a, a, a way too wealthy Italian who gotcha, just decided gotcha. to, have, to, to, to basically buy the Italian flag, but as a sports car. Yeah, no, there's just this mint green car on my block that has a fully visible, fully decked out every seat in the vehicle. Ahigao covers. You I know, just I, don't I've understand seen, I've seen those. I also don't understand it. I mean, it's not even the weebiest car on this block. And no, it's not mine. I was never going to suggest such a thing. I mean, look, I, it's amazing how often if I'm like, if I'm out and I'm keeping an eye out, like how much I do see weeb stuff on cars these days, you know, like stickers or like, I think somebody had, I saw a Ford Mustang with a license plate that said like K-pop stand. <laughs> I was debating leaving a note on the windshield of a car at my new job that has uh, Gone and Killua little pop-ups in the back window, and then I noticed all the Attack on Titan badges and was not going to hand no. it to No! <laughs> no! It's a lot. And I only knew it was Attack on Titan because one of them was the symbol I always confused with the Mass Effect Paragon symbol for ages. God, it does look similar, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it really. I've, I've yeah, seen you it don't before. have any context. Oh, I've seen it before too, uh, on on cars, and it's wild. I, I just, I'm so glad I did not get into Attack on Titan before finding out anything about it. <laughs> Jesus, fair. at least. The only thing anime in my car is the the box of anime VHS tapes that I bought for like a couple bucks when the comic book shop I used to frequent is going out of business. I have a tiny uh, domino mask over a rose and a Zohar on mine. Excuse me? What? Roberto <laughs> Ferrari was 
credited as a character designer for Final Fantasy 15 and 7 Remake. So what I'm finding <laughs> out is Ferrari Roberto is the secret star of Square Enix. I, I guess so. I just, I want to know which characters. I mean, you know what? You know what? The boys in 15 do have a little bit of that, like, you know, club going Italian vibe. A little bit. <laughs> I like to imagine this means he was the person assigned to do the FF15 crossover in Pop Team Epic. Because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. did have Square Enix animators work on that. Oh my God. He might have designed Cindy, Cindy from 15. Okay, so this rules. Headcanon achieved. (laughs) Ah, So at the gate to the park, Jigen and Lupin arrive. When they are asked for tickets, Lupin instinctively knows that they are under Jigen's hat somehow. He's like, what the hell? Jigen is very pissy about this, because as they're wandering around, he knows this has to be a trap, right? And Lupin ignores him and heads over to a little ice cream dispenser. He buys himself a cone, but the cream comes out full of maggots. And without saying a word, he stares at it for a moment and just tosses it over his shoulder, going, it's the wrong flavor. Uh, in the Japanese, he says, uh, no compliments to the chef. <laughs> I like both of those jokes. They're both good. <laughs> yep. I, I think it all comes down to delivery. Uh-huh. And if you hadn't figured it out yet, Lupin will recap the events of the last few episodes here. We did this last time when I laid things out for y'all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, He is curious about Fujiko, however, because all the records and data suggest that this person just doesn't exist. She's not in any record book under this name. Uh, Or or her description. They can't even find someone who looks like her. And he says, uh, Fujiko Mine, Lady Looter, her life was stolen from her. Uh, Jika just craps all over this, but Lupin assures us that uh, this is the tale of a woman called Fujiko Mine. Uh, roll credits and face <laughs> it friend uh we're just the supporting cast which is funny because i mean the, his name comes first in the title of the anyway uh so <laughs> before the argument can continue though lupon spots an owl staring at them from a roller coaster track uh and like it doesn't seem like that track goes anywhere it's just kind of standing at, like 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 a half collapsed yeah uh, and then we get our eye catches, uh, which is the first one being Fujiko's hand clutching the amusement park ticket. And the other one being the count holding a finger to his beak. Coming back from the eye catch, the owl um, offers the men a new job to kill Fujiko Mine. Um, Lupin refuses, uh, saying he has a prior claim and no urge to follow the count's script. Um, this displeases the servant. And he draws out a full-on belt-fed machine gun, firing on the two mans, two men as a coaster train flies up to meet them. Um, our two heroes drop down and cling to the other side as the owl takes the top, waiting for a shot. Um, it, uh, the gun, you know, the bullets start to proceed, uh, shredding the cars in the carriage. And Jigen asks how the hell he was dragged in. Um, Lupin says they're, they've been uh, bit players in the Count's drama the whole time. Who knows how many other smucks are in this cast of fools. Hard cut to Goemon near naked on a table strapped down by steel bands underneath four scientists. We see one of them open a tube of lipstick and the men all hunker down around the samurai. <laughs> then we smash cut back to the coaster. 
Lupin drops from above from a loop onto the owl, having the jump. Behind the cameras, the Count says he is after love. Zenigata and Fujiko, meanwhile, are running through the tunnels beneath the place, and she is having a continued breakdown. They enter a room full of statuary in her image, and she begins shooting them down, but she still can't escape, as a score counter like a carnival game ticks up with each bullet, and her chil- the child's voice screams, Yes! More! and laughs the whole time. <laughs> so... She falls to her knees and begins a sequence where, in brief, we learn that she suppressed all memories of this fucked up childhood in the Count's quote-unquote care. And his goal has been to reawaken those memories and retake her for himself. Yikes, gross. Uh, so with this done, all his desi- all he desires is his prize and for the cast to be killed as loose ends. Uh, we see the roller coaster heading for struts lined with C4. Hooray. Uh, Lupin wonders why he was told of Fujiko's past, if he was just going to get killed at the end of it. But at this point, everything goes to hell because the bombs go off. The owl flings himself towards the lake and gunshots ring out. Uh, The owl escapes and Jigen and Lupin begin trying to figure out what to do next. Uh, Also, we learn that we were not shown the full truth of the Dying Day episode because... Lupin heard the fortune teller uh, say that, oh, yes, uh, she's going to die on uh, the 15th of, I forget which month it was. Was it I believe December. December. Okay. On December uh, 15th. And so he asked Jigen, like, what day is it? And Jigen's like, the 15th. And she said, oh, shit, that's that's Fujiko's dying day. And Jigen's like, what? (laughs) Uh, We, I did not put in the notes, but it is worth calling out. While the owl has flung himself off of the car, Lupin ah, leaps yep. down trying to catch him, grabs and fails to take hold of them, but has a realization in midair. It, this will come back it, later. It looks like he makes the grab and then lets go, like as like a, a reflex. At mm. least that's how I read it. But I mean, he yeah, grabs I, hold of the glove, which comes off. And this ah, is what okay. this is when he figures something out. Yeah. Yep. yep. Elsewhere, uh, Goemon looks fucking amazing in a Fujiko wig and a ladybug <laughs> dress. You're not wrong. Um, which he wears absolutely fiercely um, because he has a sword. I mean, that's look. All all women want swords. This is what I've learned. I've I've seen <laughs> not, I've not seen wrong. the art of Taylor Swift albums. Imagine the swords. It's canon. It's one hundred percent true. There's the, there there is a tabletop game called Thirsty Sword Lesbian. There is. It's it's, what, um, it's won awards. It's apparently very good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's done by the same people that did Fate, which is a generally fairly accessible tabletop thing mm, or system. Mm. I, I think they're making a, a new game or like a like a sequel or something to could be thirsty sword lesbians uh yeah yeah looks fun yeah um and then back to the basement more bootleg fujikos surround the lady and the cop um but this time fujiko shots are drawing blood and i also i feel like we need to note that all these fujiko clones are topless yep they're, yep. they're topless and they're wearing uh, you know what they kind of give me a little bit of a vibe of, and I, I only say this because I, I haven't seen it yet, even though I've owned it forever, but like the clockwork orange outfits. Yes, with the oh, suspenders. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and like the little bowler hat on a few. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically that minus a shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, Zenigawa uh, stops her from shooting um, because this is the answer to the kidnappings. Dozens of girls kidnapped to try and to fail, in Zenigawa's words, to create a replacement Fujiko when she got away. Um, so then the pair begin taking down brainwashed women left and right with their fists and legs. Um, Zenigawa takes one of them, recognizing his now branded lieutenant as one of the Fujikos. And the two of them begin grappling as Fujiko flees. Um, Oscar is staring down his boss with intent to kill. It, it does the very cliche of like, don't worry, I got him. You go on ahead. Mm-hmm. I mean, we will find out that he's literally only stopping Oscar here, which is very funny. Yeah. Because we will later cut to Fujiko being chased by every other one of these women. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Zenigata specifically just says, I'll take care of this one. You get out of here. Yeah. It it comes off at the end of the episode like, oh yeah, I got this. You go, kid. And instead it's like, no, absolutely not. That is not what happened. I have one little punk to beat up. And and he didn't get it. <sighs> but Fuchiko is not currently being chased because she is alone now and wanders into the castle at the heart of the amusement park. She heads up the stairs, and inside, Count Luis U. Almeida is waiting on a very ornate throne. Come here, Fuchiko. Sit on my lap. If you don't do as I say, I'll burn you to ashes. Yikes. And we... And we close the episode on a to-be-continue as she screams out, Forgive me, Papa! I'm mm. not doing the scream. No. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like people already comment on my voice giving them weird feelings on some of these shows. I'm not giving them a weird complex. <laughs> but are you? Aren't no, you? I'm not going to repeat the Papa line. Yes, yes, yes. The Papa it's screen. for the best. It's for the best. Uh, anyway, I, I noticed it later on the notes. The next time Papa stuff comes up, I'm saying it, which is very funny. Uh, so I appreciate that I was left out of this. <laughs> I can find a way to put it in. No, no, we're good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, putting it in. Anyway, uh, episode thirteen: <laughs> The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, Part Two, Final Episode, and we resume. Uh, on the same scene we just left, and this time the Count is drawn in an absolutely insane manner. But Lupin has found the control center where all the cameras and you know are feeding into, and uh, he's talking to Fujiko with uh, some very stubborn prodding. Trauma and determination are battling it out as she uh, collapses, and like his line here is like, ah. The, the mannequin's uh, wires have been cut. Now it's, uh, you know, if you're like any amount of the woman that uh, I think you are, then you should easily be able to get up and finish this. And uh, she does end up getting up, uh, no longer seeing an owl's face, but seeing the at least the sort of it, it's got like cross hatching on it, but it's like you can see the image of what uh, the count looks like underneath the mask. Because apparently these are masks. <laughs> yep. It's one of those things they've been playing with this entire series. Like, are these masks or just hallucinations? Who knows? Uh, but apparently, at least in this case, it's a mask. And she shoots the 
mask off and it turns out underneath is a very, very dead old man. <laughs> yep. So then uh, Lupin uh, continues to try to talk um, to talk to Fujiko through things, um, revealing from the command post he's in. Um, everything is wired except for one room, uh, carefully blacked out, um, the hiding place of the actual master line, uh, mastermind. Um, he also points out that her memories of torture don't add up. She doesn't have a body with the burn scars from the branding anywhere on her. And then there's a cut where, like, she, like, goes to lift up her foot and look, and it doesn't really show it one way or another. But the attempt was there. Maybe that's a TV censorship thing. They showed her foot. I don't remember seeing the bottom of the Yeah, they didn't show the bottom, shot. though. Like, they showed her leg, oh. but they didn't show, like, the bottom. And it was clearly yeah, in the, the flashbacks the from the last set of episodes. Huh. Yeah, and I, and I guess if we look back, I'm sure we have seen the soles of her feet at some point in the show and we didn't see it. I, I had a vague memory that I thought I saw something like a tattoo on her feet, and then maybe I just completely forgot about it. I don't know. I would have to rewatch the entire show to find it. But like, so I had a you may be oh, mixing this up from. with the tattoo that Oscar has. Yeah. Oh, oh he yes. Has, he has that weird chest tattoo. Mm-hmm. Which is something we've seen on Fujiko in a few scenes as a tell. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how Zenigata recognizes Oscar uh, in the yeah. scene last episode is uh, the little scrolly, like, it's not a tribal tattoo, but it's kind of got it's, similar vibes. It's a very Gordian knot design. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but before um, Lupin can bring things to a conclusion, uh, the vents begin pumping the... The drug, I won't say the name. So we'll say the name of the drug for me. Fraulein Yule. That into the room. Um, Lupin covers his mouth, uh, but Jigen is dosed immediately and begins firing at the owl he now sees. We cut back to the basement. Oscar continues to have the world's shittiest day, screaming and attacking <laughs> Zenigata in a rage and taking the inspector's gun from him. Fujiko is now being pursued by some of her failed doppelgangers when a dress-and-wig-clad Goemon just knocks the whole lot of them out in a single sweep. He says, I have come to this place to learn the truth of you and further my path of the sword. Oh, what's the truth you've learned about me? And Goemon turns in a full red-headed wig and grins beneath painted lips that you are my girlfriend. Run, girlfriend! You are in danger here! <laughs> <laughs> oh, going on is very move. very good that's <laughs> such this is the second most cartoony thing in this entire sequence of episodes behind a moment lupin has later it's so yeah. this is full bugs bunny and he's not in any way allowing it to have any camp value he's playing it deathly straight i want going on yeah. on drag race <laughs> come on Ugh. come on just imagine that just imagine how absolutely insane that would be he would be lost in one episode because he no, would not sure. have any kind of camp value but it would mm -hmm. be worth it <laughs> just imagine him putting together an outfit boy yeah well i mean trying to think kimono hmm anyway <laughs> but at this point the drug is being spread everywhere in the park 
and Goemon and Jigen are now hallucinating each other as owls and begin a battle that will continue through the rest of the episode. So Fujiko comes to a central spire of the park, but finds herself unable to ascend because there are no stairs, but there's these weird uh, rectangular shaped bits on the wall that look like they may have some kind of lettering on them. All of a sudden, the walls start uh, moving. Uh, These little squares start pushing out and lighting up and uh, spelling phrases like, stay away. And then they ask, like, who are you? Is this not telling? And uh, Lupin catches up to her at this point and knows exactly what buttons to push, uh, leading on the, you've been such a bad girl angle that the Count used. And then suddenly the walls begin apologizing and shaking as the words say, Papa, I'm sorry, and like, Papa, 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 like, the, the thing that's so distracting about this is that it is, it's the GLaDOS voice. That's true. It, it, the, the room itself is also exceedingly video gamey. It is. The bit that distracted me is that I can't tell if it's a too ornate font or if some of the time the characters are Japanese symbols and sometimes they, they didn't edit them. I think I think that's what it is. Or I think they blend them on purpose to be confusing because, yeah, there are parts where it looks like there are some phonemes that are English and then most of them look Japanese to me. Yeah, it's trying to actually read them without using subtitles or signs is kind of a mess because the stay away is not popping out of the wall as in two words it's popping out in two vertical columns that you're supposed to read in reverse it it's disorienting which i guess is the point this is a disorienting seed but, uh, but also yeah, why does this exist <laughs> it bothers me for the rest of the episode every time we see these damn walls yeah yeah uh and so, but it turns out like, okay, so now the uh, structure itself is having a traumatic flashback, uh, you know, not to be left out on all the fun. Ah. And the, the two thieves uh, make their way up the structure as the walls pulse in and out like this is a uh, Mega Man disappearing blocks. Yeah, these are Yoku blocks. Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut back to a young woman sealed in a cybernetic bed who has a massive fucked up typewriter thing behind her. Um, making movements from the flittering of her eyes. Um, and then Lupin explains the thing that Sybil has been trying not to spell out in the notes for about six episodes now. Um, the Count's goal with Fujiko was actually trying to impose the memory of Fritz, Kaiser's actual daughter, onto her. Um, that daughter is the woman in the bed, um, Aisha Kaiser, um, broken and rendered invalid by the early experiments. Um this is why none of Fujiko's memories about the Count match up to her modern day status, um, how the goal was to isolate Fujiko and keep her in the shadows to reclaim her, um, the lone success in this entire plan. Um, it goes into this whole thing where they were planting the, exper the experiments and memories of the daughter into a bunch of women. Mostly, It was mostly the other girls at first, but then... They did it to Fujiko, and Fujiko is the only one that worked. And th there's a lot going on that's being explained here. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover that in a little more detail later, but this yeah. is the brief. Yeah, this is mm -hmm. this is the gist. Um, 
yeah, as I said, all the other Fujikos were failure because um, was trying to dub uh, a copy of a copy onto random folks. Um, and then we have the eye catches of Fujiko hiding her smiling face behind a gun she's holding in front of it. And then two Lupins pointing uh, pistols at each other. So we cut back to Jigen and Goemon for a minute, and they've moved to the top of some other towers, and their battle has become insanely chaotic. Jigen is flipping his revolver from hand to hand, trying to curve shots and catch the samurai off guard, and Goemon reacts to this by shifting his entire fighting style into something more reckless, slicing through the towers themselves as he blocks shots. Uh, yeah, those two really shouldn't be pit against each other. <laughs> Elsewhere, the owl who fled the roller coaster comes in through the window, meeting Lupin and Fujiko and he praises the Frenchman for being so astute. Lupin continues expositing, and the owl will begin to fill in gaps. When the Jugendspiegel spill occurred, the Count took a series of promising specimens and his top researchers from the city up to his castle. Fritz Kaiser was murdered and left in the city, and he began trying to mold Asia, his favorite physically, into the love of his dreams by electroshock imprinting the preferred responses of other girls into her. However, it turns out, as anyone who has any knowledge of uh, human physiology or psychology or a lot of different disciplines can tell you, this is a terrible, terrible plan, and the experimentation left the child completely paralyzed, bound to the bed she remains in to this day. <sighs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good lord. Um, but yeah, years ago, when the Count passed away, uh, this servant came to her with the news, telling her that uh, not with her tormentor dead, she can now live her own life, you know, in any way she chooses. Uh, and she has all the finances and power that the Count had, because apparently that's how inheritance works in this case. And her response was, uh, Count Almeida shall never die. The experiment continues. And so the uh, no, victimizer, no, sorry, the victim becomes the victimizer. And Aisha continued the Count's mad experiments into the present day with the kidnappings, the torture and everything. And Vigigo begins to put together the pieces the others lack, but uh, Aisha's robotic voice begins shouting her down, saying, uh, be quiet, say no more. Uh, in the basement, the creepy small world children's choir begins singing again as Oscar's sanity phrase. And now everyone is singing along to it, which is weird because it's the same like children's voices, even though these are grown women and uh, grown deed. <laughs> Interesting choice. Uh, but the lyrics uh, that we've been hearing throughout uh, are like talking about Fujiko Mine, and it's like everyone loves her so much. Everyone I'll cut wants it in if you don't to... want to read it out. Oscar. Stop! 
Where are you going? Yeah, this is uh, driving Oscar mad. And uh, he just, you know, is trying to sing along in tears and fires as Zenigata's head and blows his... Actually, he he's like walking away from Zenigata with the other like fake Fujiko's, I guess, towards where the, the bedroom is. And when Zenigata goes to follow, there's like a no look shot from Oscar that takes uh, Zenigata's hat off. Yep. And then we cut back to the owl as um, Aisha's voice in the background keeps repeating, no, be quiet, stop, no, etc. I'll have to cut in a little of that voice just so people can understand what this is sounding like. Yeah. It is very GLaDOS-esque, as it as we said before. Be quiet, be quiet. It's not a one-to-one, and I'm right. only saying this because whatever effects they used as post-processing kind of baffled people for ages. It wasn't a stock voice. They had some internal tweaks they did on it at Valve that no one could get quite right for a while. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that's why, as an audio engineer, that kind of like, it's not the same. Uh-huh. I didn't say it was the same. I said it was like. No, no, I'm just I'm just pointing that out as one of those things where it's like, yes, the mystery of the weird mommy that so many people want to step on them. I thought you weren't trying to give people complexes this episode. Yeah. (laughs) I can talk about Fujiko's feet again. I'm I'm good. You should save that for Patreon content. That that's what makes the the money, right? True. Hey, I promise you, we will have feet stuff and more on this season of Patreon bonuses for Boku no Stop. Why? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Look, if we see an uptick in subscriptions, you're welcome. <laughs> Ain't gonna be my feet. I'll just doesn't say that. have to be your feet. I got I'm feet. Just saying, I, 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 well, I assume so. I didn't want to, you know, be presumptuous, <laughs> but content warning: feet. <laughs> Put that up front. Yep, I'm adding feet that. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but I do go back to these notes when I add the posts. So I, I, know, I, I know, I know, I believe you. Um, anyway, um, back to the show. Aisha continued to use the Count's visage to try to craft a duplicate, someone who could function as her in the real world and can be used as a proxy to live her life through. Um, the experiments were horrifying, and every single one ended in the girls taking their own lives. Um, that is until Fujiko Mine enters the picture. Um... When Fujiko arrived, um, this wasn't when she was a child. She was actually she arrived as a maid, and the torture led to Fujiko being imprinted with Aisha's memories, um, which came undone as soon as she was released into the world. Was it that, I th- or maybe it explains further down the notes? But it was explained that like Fujiko's special, and she was able to lock away the trauma memories in a box. So it's the, a, it's very confused, and I, I think we'll end up talking about it a lot. <laughs> it's it's going to be here in a second, but yeah, Asia immediately loves this because she gets to watch herself fucking steal a plenty, a thing, an angle she never considered. But it's like, yes, this is the voyeurism I wanted. 
But then mm-hmm. Fujiko is strong-willed enough that she just suppressed all this and was like, nope, I'm Fujiko Mine. Fuck you, ghost mom. Mm-hmm. And so, ironically, Aisha's brainwashing experiment failed twice over. Fujiko was already a thief. She just showed up as a maid trying to get the drug from the Count, having put things together just as fast as Lupin did once she heard about the man. But at this point, the story falls apart and the owl does reveal he is a faithful servant and he pulls a lever as Aisha's voice begins repeating, Punished! 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 Saying that is the fate of all bad girls. Fujiko drops into a trapdoor, past the walls repeating the same phrase. Meanwhile, on ground level, a weeping Oscar leaps from a gasoline hauler, muttering the same phrase, and the building is immediately engulfed by the fireball, where we see plenty of the doppelgangers writhing in the flames. Yikes! (laughs) Yeah, like Oscar, the body count on him. Jesus. Yup! Again, they've never brought this character back after this series, and it's kind of easy to see why, because I don't think anyone knows how to square that circle with the tone of a Lupin series. And and I gotta say, like, it does, it did kind of give me the, the Dark Knight Rises Joker blowing up the hospital vibes, the way they draw Oscar here. Oh, Uh, he's very cracked he's got a horrifying grin a lot of the time i might cut in a few shots of oscar's face from this entire three-parter because he gets a lot of expressions mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you're into mind break stuff this is the episode arc for you hooray <laughs> look fuck what? it if i'm leaning in on catering to the perverts this week why not give it to all the perverts babies look we're not here to kink shame unless you're into that (sighs) and if so anyway pitch drop dot (laughs) cash uh god imagine somebody whose fetish is listening to bad podcasts they exist we call them pay pigs we call them Macro Roy Brothers fans. Anyway, uh, <laughs> zing. Anyway, I've not listened to a single McElroy thing at all, so I'm just like throwing random shots at nothing. It's exactly what you imagine. It, are you aware of them? You know what it sounds like. <laughs> anyway, uh, so elsewhere, Zedagata is. Way too calm as he discovers that none of the payphones in the area work. Uh, you can see the uh, the smoke from the fire of the explosion behind him. Uh, the owl begins making calls, trying to get the fire quenched as Fujiko pulls herself back into the room via a grapple wire. And uh, Lupin lifts Aisha from her uh, cradle slash bed slash prison full of pillows. And the... Servant is starting to go apoplectic, but Lupin is back in control now and, uh, you know, gives uh, the owl some sass with uh, the girl in his arms. You're upset now when I'm doing what you asked me to do. Uh, you keep telling me to kill Fujiko, but what you're really saying is, please, Lupin, write the ending to this tale. Uh, he then fires a single shot and blows the owl mask off of the servant, revealing a face that no one recognizes, but it's an older person's face. And 
Fujiko responds to this with a, who is this? <laughs> Presenting Minerva, Aisha's mother. The person we didn't hear anywhere in this tale. Um, a co-worker at the Gladius Laboratories with Kaiser. Um, Lupin realized this only after he grabbed the owl's hand earlier in the fight with uh, the roller coaster. Um, Minerva gives in and explains to herself um, she killed her husband uh, because he was perfectly content to sacrifice their daughter to the Count's sick shit. And so uh, Minerva became the right-hand attendant, trying to care for her daughter in secret and hoping that it would one day give her the opportunity for a normal life. And with that, Lupin leaps himself out the window with the girl because he's not risking um, his life in a burning tower. <laughs> this, this feels like very um, Castle of Cagliostro from never having seen that. Uh, there's a sequence very like some of the events of this in Cagliostro, but it goes quite differently. Gotcha. However, Lupin leaping out of a tower and suddenly having a parachute under his suit jacket... Yeah, that's very Lupin. Mm -hmm. Fujiko draws a gun on Minerva at this point, saying the girl is leaving with them, calling out the owl for never once raising a finger in her daughter's defense, or even stopping this forcefully when the Count was gone. And all Minerva asks, unable to refute this, or trying to escape with the thieves, is that they take care of her girl. Smash cut! to Lupin driving and Fujiko holding the girl, and oh my god, this is so brutal. I have to cut in the audio because people would think I was fucking around if I didn't. Well, Aisha, take a good look. Welcome to the world. This is your world, seen through your eyes. Yep, and you can't do anything to change it. <laughs> And that's not all! Watch! <laughs> Look here! <laughs> this is my world, my life, and you can never have it! It's so sadistic. And Fujiko just rips this locked-in child a new one, and Aisha closes her eyes and dies. Okay, that's not exactly how it... There's... I, okay, I had a different read on this, because... Okay, what does it say in the subs? Okay, so, I mean, they're driving... I, I don't remember the exact phrase. I mean, I watched this last night, so I should remember this pretty well, but... What happened, is, it seems like, is that they decided, okay, I'm going to show you the real world that you've been missing, the one that you've been seeing me in, but now you can see that this is my world. And they go to the beach, and uh, Fujiko, like, you know, somehow isn't naked. She's actually just wearing, a, like, a one-piece uh, swimsuit. That is the real is mystery, like to be honest. It's a, it's a surprise. Um, but yeah, she's like spinning around in the water, laughing, giggling, saying, this is my world. See, can't you see it? Uh, and then there's a shot of Aisha, like her like sullen, like she looks like she's 
70 years old but like her face slowly fades into a girl's face like it gets you know benjamin buttons and then it fades to white and then she's dead so it seems like i don't know if this was he she was intentionally torturing her or she was just like oh you wanted to see the real thing here's the real thing you're out here you're living it you're smelling it you're seeing it you're not just locked up in a tower and uh this is the last thing you'll see before you die Maybe the dub plays it up, but she's just straight up twisting the knife on her. That could be. Yeah, I, I kind of agree more with Matt on this, and I didn't really see it as, like, the sadistic thing. But then at the end of it, Lupin comments that it that it was. Yeah, so. he's like, you you didn't want to just give her a happy way to go out? <laughs> I, I thought that this, I mean, I think he said, like, it would have been easier just to kill her in her bedroom just shoot her because that would be a less painful death but i don't know if that just means his comment after this sequence is you you decided that was the way she was going to spend her last moments huh because fujiko I, i mean i guess you've all heard this but maybe you two didn't the dub has her just going all right, and this is the outside world. You can't do anything here. And she starts getting in the water. She's like, this is my world. And she's flailing around and splashing and enjoying herself. She's just like, none yeah. of this is for you. Yeah, I guess I guess there is a, a, a tinge of revenge on it. Yeah, I, it, that is the same thing that happens with the, you know, in the in the or sorry, in the subs. Right. It's. I don't know. I feel like it's a little confused to me is what it seems like. What is she trying to accomplish with this? It does seem kind of random. And like the thing that does get me to think that this wasn't entirely torture (laughs) uh, is that scene where she looks like that she's getting her youth back before she dies uh, because it's like rejuvenating her somehow. But then again, like, you know, they make a point to say like she wouldn't survive out in the real world anyway, because she was so traumatized and so fragile that no matter what she, she had not much life left anyway. Ah. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess they could have just left her to like, if they wanted to really torture, just let her die in a fire. <laughs> that would have been worse. Right. I mean, it's not emotional violence, but. Eh, there was no happy ending for this girl. That's true. No, 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 no. That said, this is possibly the unhappiest ending short of burning alive you could give her. Yeah. <laughs> it's very confused. Very confused. Um, but anyway, the two thieves drive away together. Uh, Lupin is in, you know, an old school roadster and she's on a motorcycle and they just leave her body at the beach. And uh, Fujiko... Uh, you know, she's saying that uh, she gave her something nobody else did, which is freedom, which, again, like I said, it's kind of mixed. Uh, she remarks that, she, <laughs> that Lupin just left Jiga to the park. He's just like, hey, you're just going to, you know, abandon him there. And Lupin's like, yep. <laughs> smash cut to uh, the ruins of the park where Jigen is out of ammo. Uh, Goemon has destroyed massive chunks of the place because every time he swings his sword, something breaks. And the two of them admit that this is a standstill. Uh, we'll just uh, walk away from this. And both of them leave as their fake owl masks melt away. Yep. Um, Lupin then responds to Fujiko's taunts and tries to chase her down for, quote unquote, dad ass. Except um, we see him crest a, heel, uh, crest a hill in pursuit of her bike 
and in a series of stills, um, his car entirely disintegrates around him. Um, the final shot is Fujiko giving a very, very suggestive kiss to a bolt she removed from his car that shattered the whole thing um, when she shifted it into high gear, and then she, like, tosses it behind her. And I gotta say, note to self when editing, take her half-fellating the bolt as the episode art. It's the perfect summary of this show, and work safe. <laughs> it it completely is. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. You know, it is funny... Having learned a lot about cars recently, the idea of shifting into high gear is kind of a misnomer <laughs> because <laughs> high gears are really just meant for fuel economy. It's not actually meant for more power. You actually get more power at lower gears because that's where the, the power band is for torque. Hmm. Well, anyway, there. completely unrelated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we that's credits. And we get an alternate outro sequence this time. The same song is playing, but this one has uh, Fujiko wandering the world a bit, free, none of this little girl held down by her past ship. We see a brief montage of the cast and where they end up. In the ruins of the theme park, Zenigata is spearheading cleanup and taking point. He looks over Oscar's abandoned badge in the ruins. Goemon takes leave on a fishing trawler because Goemon. On mm-hmm. the road, Jigen is driving a stolen truck and picks up the hitchhiking Lupin. And in the skies, we just see Fujiko in first class grinning as we wrap the show. So what's everyone think on this? Oof. Ah. Uh, hmm. Right, first off. bad. <laughs> first off. Do you regret this season? No. Okay. No, so no. Was, I'm going to say, like, I mean, it's still an auditory and visual spectacle, uh, which is incredible. Uh, just, I would say the vibes are immaculate, but then again, a lot of the vibes are torture. So, <laughs> no. Um, this This is the most, like, smushed amount of like exposition prose like in an ending i've seen in forever like it is absolutely overstuffed with twists and extra bits and the takeaway is that we know nothing about fujiko right like yep instead of saying this was the origin story of fujiko mine turns out that she was a torture subject by a pharmaceutical company and somehow she turned into a thief no she was already she says it herself thieving and fucking were already my thing before i got into this plot Uh and uh that makes this extra confusing because like what was the point if fujiko was this character and this whole stretch was really just her trying to unwind some mental damage that she took in the process of a uh botched um a botched uh, job. And so we know even less now about her than we thought we did halfway through the show. And there's just a whole lot of unpleasant shit. (laughs) I mean, there's, we, it, we can't really like impress upon a listener to a podcast, just how uncomfortable a lot of this shit is. And it really did. Like they basically said that like the count was, um, yeah, I, 
abusive in basically every manner possible. So yeah. Oh, gross. Yeah. gross, gross, gross. So, I mean, was it worth all of the grossness? I, I still want to say it's worth watching if you can stomach it, but okay, boy. So before we let Garrett go, I just want to ask you a question, Matt. Yeah. Do you think that the very realistic way that this trauma and the horrible shit the Count was doing, and his goal being, I want the perfect child bride, being so openly discussed is better or worse than if they tried to sand the edges off it and be, the Count wanted a perfect partner, and just didn't investigate what that meant. I mean, I would say the way they soften this is by using the psychedelia and all of the, the the crazy colors and the imagery and how a lot of it was shown with, you know, people with owl masks and sort of abstracting it. And then at this point, they've stopped the abstraction. And now we're actually seeing what was more of what was really happening. But it's also, I, I would say it, it kind of ends up being roughly the same. It just depends on how reactive you are to the imagery of it, right? Like, I would have to say probably the most uncomfortable thing is the scene on the boat ride where you have the the doll getting experimented on and you just have the other like scientist doll going chop chop and then the then the doll screaming uh mm-hmm. that's probably the worst part of it but um like it's I guess the real question is is the juice worth the squeeze and the thing is if ultimately the thing we learned was that this all happened to a character we don't care about uh then i don't know if it was you know worth the investment other than just uh being salacious okay garrett uh i think i think my shortened version is if you can get past all the trigger warnings it's uh it's pretty okay out of 10 um the longer version or specifically the part that I have a problem with the most is for a show being about Fujiko. She, she's not very good at things. It seems like it's, it seems like anytime Fujiko like does something like quote unquote cool or competent, there's always like an asterisk around it where, you know, like, you know, like trying to play the casino, but then getting captured, trying to steal this thing, but then getting brainwashed so it seemed like there was just like a lot of Fujiko almost being good and interesting at what she does, but there was always something holding it back. And I just like a lot yeah. of parts where like I didn't enjoy that that like Lupin was like it kind of like the driving factor of her like breaking out of this trauma that was given to her and stuff. Like I feel like that was kind of gross and bad. Um I think it would have been better if they spent more time of her like coming out of that on her own to show like her own abilities and things like that. It, for a show being about her, she she was very object like in a lot of it, which is bad. And like to to build on that, okay, she did we did see her succeed, but it's stuff that happened like off screen mostly, right? Like the beginning of the the one in Egypt, she had stolen that whatever giant piece of jewelry she was wearing while she was swimming or, uh, you know, she made it away with the belt 
uh, at the end of the first Goemon episode. So she kind of won in that fashion. But I mean, you're right. The the thing that if this is supposed to be an origin story for Fujiko, I don't think it does Fujiko any favors. And I don't think it really explains how did this crew become a crew? Because at the end of this, everyone kind of goes their separate ways. And I guess we're left to assume that at some point they decide, let's, we need to join forces. But I mean, I guess like in terms of a, a standalone piece, like if you weren't going to watch any other Lupin or this is the only one you've watched, like me, like I have, um, you would just go, well, that was quite an interesting, uh, you know, melange of characters that sort of bounced off each other. But none of that, there's no cohesion to it by the end, right? Like you don't feel like Fujiko has some type of like respect for or or admiration of Lupin at all. Uh, Goemon is just kind of around, like he's still like, I guess, you know, hung up on Fujiko, but he doesn't even talk to Lupin. Like, does he even meet him? I don't really think so. Uh, and like Jigen, like the only thing that really has bought it, you know, I bought into is that Jigen and Lupin have a working relationship now and I like their dynamic, uh, but like just to come back. To another thing, like, I feel like most of the writing itself, like the the phrase, the phrasing of it and sort of, you know, the, the moment to moment is actually very good and pretty artful. The thing is, the themes and the sort of the mechanics of how everything fit together doesn't really hold up under scrutiny. Okay. You know, I agree right. with that. I think I think like the moment to moment like episodic stuff is good. Like, I feel like if you just watch it and you don't think about it too hard is kind of the best way to experience it. Uh But kind of like the overarching stuff, it kind kind of falls. And for me, just like Fujiko, like, isn't it's like, she isn't portrayed that well throughout. I think like she, it, it never feels like she actually like pulls off femme fatale, like, well without like an asterisk or like a but then this happens i mean when you think about it going back to the very first episode when she runs into lupon for the first time he says well i hope you have more in your toolbox besides um you know seduction because that would make you a very boring opponent and you don't really see much else she doesn't like win the day with her shrewdness or with her with her ability to read people or manipulate people like none of that goes into her character growth like you go at the end of the day and she was like well i was thieving and fucking to start and i'm thieving and fucking now i guess that's all i am <laughs> so eh. i'm actually looking at these and um i'd say she takes more wins than losses overall through this season there's a bunch where she like it ends up being a wash, right? Like, uh, well, the, right. There's the a red it's a wash, peacock. but it's a wash for everyone. First yeah. episode, the cult. She and Lupin both escape. Nobody makes it out with the drug. Second episode, she gets one upped by someone who's a better con woman than her, but she manages to steal a gun from one of the most dangerous men in the world and escape unscathed. She also realizes, oh, this is weird love shit, I'm out of here. Lady and the Samurai. She gets a belt. She doesn't get a whole train car of treasures. She gets the belt. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Visa de Art, Visa de Amor. She does not get a mask, but this is because the actual Ion burns the mask while she is invited to dinner. And, you know, she gets a meal out of it. She doesn't get the biggest treasure in the world. Still gets away clean. Mm-hmm. Blood-soaked triangle. They don't get the jeweled peacock statue because if they do, they'll die. But she's still got the entire sequence of gems and thefts we saw before the episode started. She was let's, already ahead. Let's let's not forget that she got caught by Zenigata in the episode with the, um, you know, before the opera. True. But she managed to make her way to freedom while being used as a patsy. Mm-hmm. So she came out ahead again. It's a win, if not a score. Prison of Love, she got the spoils and she split it with Lupin because he helped her out of the Oscar jam. Music and Revolution, Fujiko wins. Dying Day, Fujiko doesn't get blackmail, but she does get some revenge. I'd call that one a... That's probably the one I'd say is a big L for her. Yeah. Love Wreathed in Steam. This is when trauma kicks in, and we have a very different Fujiko for a few episodes. She loses on that one, but she also comes out ahead in that she's now aware of the fact that something's gone wrong. Ghost Town. Fujiko's not in it at all. Mm-hmm. Feast of Fools. Uh, Fujiko is barely in this episode, so also kind of not going to count it. And then she wins. She wins in the final two-parter. I mean, in that she, like, defeats her enemy, but... She comes out free. She dunks on Lupin, which is the entire thing that's been going through the whole series. Like, Uh, she's the better thief in the end because she got away from him with one little trick. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you would also... I mean, Lupin also steals stuff off camera and it's like referenced, right? Because like you have the uh, the the fortune teller guy say, you know, targeting all of his former um, victims uh, and, and all that. So there's a lot of stuff we don't see on camera. But yeah, it's I mean, I assume doesn't both feel... of them are stealing things off camera. Sure, They're both sure. master thieves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we see her like abandon other, you know, jobs. Right. Like she was like in a job when she saw the the auction for the paint or for the tattooed lady. Right. Um, yeah, I it, it just feels. I mean, I, I'm with Garrett on this, that it feels like. She isn't as much of the impetus to the resolution as you would hope for a character that's supposed to be about having complete control over interactions with people, right? Being able to manipulate and seduce and all that. You, you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of that skill set being used here in this final bit. But also, yeah, it just feels very weird to say that we walk away knowing just as much about Fujiko as when we started. Yeah, I mean, it well, feels like we walk away with, like, the clean slate and, like, this is this is now the Fujiko that transitions into you know, Lupin proper. Oh, but... It'd be very funny if she became psychic here, right? Like, because of... <laughs> I mean, she memories. is kind of psychic sometimes. I mentioned that. 
I mean, like, yeah, in the series, not in this one or this yeah. movie series. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like, I, like, I can, I can understand that there, there's a lot of wins there that we just went through, but none of them feel like really all that su- substantial. A lot of those wins just feel like we're clear to go to the next episode. Well, I think here's the other thing that changes this. This is a series that has a through line and continuity more than a lot of Lupin series, Mm. as opposed to being a case of the week, a case of the two weeks, and all of it is heists, 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 heists. Right. If you're looking at a standard Lupin series, we've got... All right, this week, Zenigata sets a trap for the thieves, but Lupin's still gonna get out of it somehow with a bag of gold. Uh, this week, Lupin hears that Fujiko is involved in some scheme and he wants a piece of this. This week, some guy is trying to start a fight with Jigen, and it turns out he's rich as hell, so Lupin's got something in it for him, etc. But this is not that. This is a character-driven piece... Yeah. That also doesn't shy away from the roughest edges of all these characters. Well, okay. Like another thing that I remember coming up earlier in the season was the idea that and Lupin puts it forward that she is a masochist, right? Like she has mm-hmm. this kind of self-destructive mm-hmm. streak and we don't really learn why she has that. I mean, you, you could assume, I mean, I think we're meant to assume that part of that is due to the trauma that she supposedly had lived through and apparently has not. But also, you know, that never gets really addressed or like she doesn't grow out of it or grow from it or just say, hey, I just like other than just saying, I guess I like this. This is how I am. So therefore it is OK. Um, OK, yeah. so look, Look at the opening monologue again in light of what you know about this series. Even if she was a thief and a masochist and possibly a sex junkie prior to meeting the Count and anything that Mm -hmm. happened with Aisha and all that, does that change anything about her monologue? She is in this for the thrills and not getting caught, but Mm -hmm. also if she gets caught... It's not going to be, oh, woe is me, I'm doomed. It's, how do I turn this back to my advantage? Mm-hmm. I can see that. I think just, like, yeah. another thing that it kind of doesn't work out for me is just, like, after watching this, like, I, we don't seem to, like, end at a point where I can be like, okay, yeah, I can see how this is, you know, like the Fujiko I've maybe seen, like, clips of on, you know, whatever site or throughout, like, just, like, my base understanding of, like, what Fujiko is supposed to be. Like, I think I'm, it might be one of the movies or OVAs I'm specifically thinking of where she's, like, doing, like, all this cool stuff on, like, a train where she's blonde, has an MP5. Is this ringing any bells? (laughs) Uh, that could be one of so many different... You have to realize they did yearly specials for ages. So, yeah, so I guess, like... in the end, like, it doesn't, it doesn't match up where, like, I think it kind of falls into play with other Lupin stuff, but I think that's more just a me thing than, like, anything necessarily wrong the show did. This, I, I said it early on, this series 
changes a bit of how they do the franchise with some of the future series that come after it, but it doesn't ever go to this level again. It's just, oh, people will accept a not-quite-episodic Lupin series. People will accept playing around with different time periods. Some of the later series, uh, I believe it's the most recent, it straight up has an arc that's very similar to some of the Count's Ah, I'm spying on you at all times with owls. But it's a guy who goes, We can weaponize social media against Lupin Third. There is an early case where someone sets a bounty on him in the form of a contest. Hey, get a picture with this guy and makes it look like an ARG kind of thing. And they could just track the hashtag to go, here's Lupin, catch him. That's funny. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. like they start playing around with things like that more. And this series was a side event that allowed them to go. We can break the mold. Oh, yeah, in, in that sense, I, I get it. Like, I think, I think the show looks better to me if it's accepted as like a standalone piece more than anything else. Yeah, and then like a lot of the, a lot of like the questions of trying to tie it in proper to like you know like well how did the you know how did the boys get together after this and stuff and if if it's just like a standalone experience. I think it works a little better. I mean, there's still problems with it, but I feel like that looks at it in a better light. And if it's like a setup to like start looking to be able to do more like season based or like art based plots, that that's a net positive, I'd say. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like a few of these episodes, like there's still like, I think a few of them that are like, straight wins like I, I think the first going on episode is really good i yeah. think um um the one with uh i i really like the egypt one mm -hmm. i think that one is also very good um or at least they have less of the mixed bag problems so um, you seem to like the Dai sato written episodes more i i guess so yeah because those are all episodes he did he did lady and the samurai Blood-Soaked Triangle, Music and Revolution, and Ghost Town. Yeah, I, I I do like, those are probably more of my favorite ones, but I also, I, I think by more of my favorites, I guess it's also means least problematic. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Um, Again, we <sighs> are talking about the guy who wrote Jungle Cruise, so I don't think you like everything Dai Sato does, but... I mean, again, I think Jungle Cruise is a good episode that I never want to watch again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say I would I could see myself revisiting this series in the future, right? Because it's it's just um, aesthetically, it's just awesome. And, yeah. you know, knowing what happens, I'm a little bit more prepared for, you know, the the, the stuff that is less than ideal. Um and it's, you know, only 13 episodes, so there's not, like, you know, all that much of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I still think, yeah, people should go watch this. It's just absolutely wild. Uh, just know that you have a yeah, lot to deal a, there's with. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot you have to take in. And actually, like, yeah. speaking of that, like, we can get past, like, all of the the content warming stuff. I actually thought Feast of Fools was really good. 
like I, I kind of wish we didn't see Oscar after that. Like mm, I, I feel I like it. I feel like just ending with that for Oscar was pretty good. If you can put aside like all the all the yike stuff in there, but I feel like that that fall is is an enjoyable watch. I, I feel like, okay, if you wanted like to pick one episode to say this is representative of the whole series and like it's good and it's bad, pr- uh, you know, Prison of Love, I think, is the episode to go to. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right? Prison of Love is a real good test to be like, if you can, if you're okay with this, you are cleared to watch the show. And I, I think, yikes aside, like it's, I, I still, I do think that is a good episode. I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but. Honestly, it's it's got the rough edges of Fujiko, the rough definitely the rough edges of Oscar. Right. Um and you know, there's Lupin's in there, uh Zenigata's in there. Uh I mean, yeah, you don't get Goemon, you don't get Jigen. Um but other than that, like it, it pretty much encapsulates all of the homage bits of things that they're doing. The Jigen episode is really good, actually, thinking back on it. Like I think Yeah. Yeah. The one the one thing I don't like about it that I mentioned back then is that I kind of wish instead of the mob boss woman having a death wish, you know, a suicidal death wish, I wish she was just motivated by revenge against Jigen specifically instead. That would have made it better, but that's, you know, only by degrees. I think the rest of that episode is very good. So for what it is worth, I am trying to find out because uh, 357 Magnum was written by Itsuko Miyoshi, who does mm. not seem to have any credits for anything else anywhere other than that one episode. So mm. I don't know what that does to inspire why that is so distinct from anything else. Because I can't go, oh, look at other things this woman wrote. Mm. It's got the most genre vibes, right? Like that feels just like... Uh, a noir mob boss story. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping to find out, hey, this is like an actual crime fiction writer or something. Like, Mario Kata really loved her works. And, like, nope, can't find mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I guess I need to look up more um, Mario Kata stuff. I'm, I'm, curious. I'm curious. I think the two parts that you should use to introduce someone to this is Blood-Soaked Triangle... Mm-hmm. And Prison of Love, because you get a Daisato episode and yep. a Mario Kata episode, and you get the two halves of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who, who wrote the, this last bit here, like the last three episodes? Uh, everything after Ghost Town has been Okada. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Again, I love Mario Kata because she is a woman who does very literary drenched writing and is also the kind of person who loves messy relationships. Very messy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think, think that's it for me on this one. Well, anything from you, Garrett? No, I don't think I have anything else at this point. Mm-hmm. For what it's worth. If it weren't for the fact that we're kind of trying to avoid 50-episode series, if we can help it, I would say a good follow-up to this would be Eureka 7, which Dai Sato was a 
lead on and wrote a lot of episodes for. Mm -hmm. Because if you like him in this, if you liked him doing Ghost in the Shell or some of the Bebop scripts he did, or a lot of his writing shows up in that show, which is a very stylish mecha series with an amazing soundtrack. But also, it's really hard to go... Let's watch 50 episodes of a mecha show again. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst thing you've covered on the show? Cyborg 009. Really? <sighs> I that seems to, wrong. I hate to agree with that, but of the shows we've covered on the free feed, yeah, probably... It's, it, yeah, it's Ava, like when we're talking Ava, Monster, Cyborg 009, Idion. And then this. Oh, and Flip Flappers. Yeah, Flip Flappers might be it, honestly. Mm, yeah, I'm, I just don't like, I, I never really grew into Cyborg 009. Like, I, I respect it as like a historical work that they were trying to adapt and did like a medi like a pretty subpar job of like animating and like they had no budget and whatnot. I don't know. I just, I came away from that being like, eh, I watched that. At, at least the Idion, I could say this is enough historical value and it's interesting as a source point for a lot of things that came later that I could say, oh yeah, that was that was totally worth it, even though it was a bit of a slog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Project Echo was pretty good. I, like, I feel like the movies we've been watching for uh, have all been very solid. Uh, we haven't had, like, a real dud in the group. I mean, that's the fun part, is when we get behind the actual paywall to the bonus yeah. episodes, we don't have to come up with a through line. We just have to give the lightest justification <laughs> of why we want to watch something. It's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, I did get my copy of Project ACO 2, so if we want to put that on the list. I think it's definitely worth bringing up, just to compare, because, again... There, there was a lot of commonly held wisdom for ages that, oh, these just get worse and they fall downhill until they're done. It's like, uh, I don't know if people are going to believe that when they can just look at them. They're pretty good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm debating if I want to buy three right now because it's on sale. I would wait. You've got at least half a year before we have to do another bonus on one. Yeah, yeah, and it'll go on sale again. That's true. It's not, mm -hmm. not uncommon. Um... But yeah, so yeah. Whenever you decide, just let us know. We'll drop it in. Mm -hmm. I will do. Again. I will go back and look at stuff, look at my shelf, and come up with some with some options, or ideally a single option that I like most. Well, hell, just come up with a few things and pitch them. You can pitch them at the end of an episode. We can do that as extra after. Again, we're just doing some OVAs the next That's couple true. of times out. But with that, who's got plugs? Garrett, go on first. All right. Um, I talk about Common uh, Rider with uh, two of my buds over at journeythroughthedecacast.com, where we're currently going through Common uh, Rider Blade, and uh, we've got got a solid mix of stuff in in the backlog of completed series, and, and it's a bunch of fun. I like talking about Karate Bugman. Matt. Uh, so you can listen to the premium version of this show uh, in which uh, John, Chris, and I are currently going through Death Note. We're almost done. We're near the end. Things are getting weird. Uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, if you go to pitchdrop.cash and give us, I believe it is five bucks a month for the premium show, uh, you can check that out. Uh, and that show has had a lot more seasons than we've had here. Uh, so whole lot of interesting stuff. You could also listen to our JRPG Games Club podcast show, Lightning Strikes Thrice, where we are currently in the middle of Final Fantasy VIII. And that's been an interesting experience. Or, you know, on top of that, uh, I'm still writing the occasional uh, review of Yuri manga and or anime on Okazu. I just uh, had How Do We Relationship Volume 7 uh, go up this week, this week being the, the you know, Thanksgiving week. And uh, I'll have at least two other ones coming. I'm going to do Yuri Espoir 3, and I'm going to try to do this uh, Project Echo 2 as one as well. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, go, go check that out or check out the other reviews on that site. Interesting. And you could find me and my myriad works on and off this network at hellscaper.com, as well as on various shows on the pitch drop network and as background on some of Garrett's shows elsewhere on other networks. We'll be back in two weeks with the first of three, three, Three OAVs that were made by a lot of the team of this, including Direction by One Amazing Takeshi Koike. You know him from Redline. You know him mm. from the woman called Fujiko Mine. You know he's fucking stylish. And we're going to talk about Jigen's Gravestone. See you then. See ya. Later. <laughs>